And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's always a privilege to spend a couple of minutes with you each morning. Today is Friday, July the 24th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on July 24, 1974, the U.S. Supreme Court unanimously ruled that President Richard Nixon had to turn over some subpoenaed White House tape recordings. It had to do with the Watergate prosecution. You probably remember that. You also may remember that those tapes, he did finally turn them over. It had a, was it a 16 or 18 minute gap in them? And his secretary became quite famous because she said, well, she had inadvertently erased it or something like that. Anyway, the infamous tape recordings of Watergate. Today in 1847, Mormon leader Brigham Young and his followers arrived in the Great Salt Lake Valley, present-day Utah. Today in 1858, Republican senatorial candidate Abraham Lincoln formerly challenged Democrat Stephen Douglas to a series of political debates. The result was seven face-to-face debates. Wouldn't it be nice if Biden would agree to debate Trump? I'm beginning to think that he's going to try to wiggle out of this. I don't know how he could and save face, but it seems like they can get away with anything. I mean, it doesn't matter. The press just covers for them and everybody moves on. I've never seen a presidential candidate in my life stay in the basement of his home and do very scripted and very short little excerpts. And then the news takes it and makes a big feature story out of it. Because if, if Biden talks for more than a couple of minutes, he just loses his train of thought. And I don't, I don't say this with any animosity. In fact, I, I feel sorry for him as a human being. He, he really isn't qualified, whether he would be Democrat or Republican, for the office he's running for and leading by 10, 11 points over Trump to be president of the United States. It's amazing. But I have this feeling, I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I I probably will be, but I have this feeling that somehow Biden's going to figure out how to wiggle out and others and the press will assist of ever having to face Trump in a, any kind of a debate or an an exchange. We'll see what happens. Anyway, Abraham Lincoln, he faced the guy that was running against him, Stephen Douglas. Today, in 1866, Tennessee became the first state to be readmitted to the Union after the Civil War. Today, in 1911, Yale University history professor Hiram Brigham III, he found the lost city of the Incas in Peru, Machu Picchu. Today, in 1969, the Apollo 11 astronauts, two of whom had been the first men to set foot on the moon, I've mentioned that the last couple of days when they arrived, had communion, um, broke bread, biblically, and um, they did what they did, then they splashed down safely in the Pacific. I've mentioned this before on this program over in various times, I suppose, over, I spent a number of years of my life um, in missionary evangelism, and um, I would uh, I was involved all over the world, and a lot of people, especially from the West Coast, particularly from the Northwest, because we had a lot of contacts here. But we, as it evolved the ministry, we ended up being connected to people around the country. 
but especially on the West Coast. A lot of people went out to these projects, and we would start a church in conjunction with a missionary and with local congregations. We weren't trying to build a like a denomination or a group of churches or anything, but we would work with them. And we would start a church, and often I would preach out there in the jungles or the you know the the, the deserts of whatever of Africa and you know all over the place. And we would start a church. People would get saved, and we'd introduce them to the Christians in the community or the village or whatever. And sometimes we did it in large cities too. But um, we would build a church and, and so on. Well, we built a lot of churches in the South Pacific, particularly in the Samoas, both American Samoa and used to be called Western Samoa, now it's just called Samoa. But anyway, while we were out there during those years, it was during the time that the astronauts were still splashing down in the Pacific. And the airport was just kind of like a little warehouse deal. I mean, it was very basic. And the runway worked, which was the most important thing. The planes got in and out. But um, the the airport building, I mean, really, it was kind of like a, a shed or kind of thing at that time in uh, Pongo Pongo. And so uh, anyway, there was a little restaurant there in this in this airport, and we would go there sometimes when we were building churches out there and have a sandwich or whatever. And uh, they had pictures all over the place of these astronauts. They had pictures that you never saw in, in the press. I mean, they were just, the guys would, that was the first place they would come when they got back from the moon. And somehow, I guess they weren't quarantined because I saw pictures of them in that, coffee shop uh, not long after, you know, after they'd gotten back. It's kind of an amazing thing, way out there in the middle of nowhere, and these guys would splash down. But anyway, that was the uh, that was the uh, the way they did it back in those days, and it created a vivid memory for me. I'll never forget that. I didn't see them, but I saw the pictures that people had taken. Today in 1975, an Apollo spacecraft, it splashed down in the Pacific as well. It completed a mission that included the first ever docking with a Soyuz capsule from the Soviet Union, 1975. Today in 2018, the Trump administration said it would provide $12 billion in emergency relief to farmers who had been hurt by trade disputes with China and a couple of other countries as well. And five years ago, five years ago today, Barack Obama returned to his father's homeland for the first time As U.S. President, the homeland was Kenya, another place that I've spent a lot of time, a country that considered him a local son, Associated Press says. Well, they did, and they do. Have a lot of contacts out there. I haven't kept them current, but we knew a lot of people in Kenya. And they did consider him a local son. However, what the press never said was that when Obama planned that trip to Kenya, The president of Kenya formally asked him in writing, and I'm quoting, to leave your beliefs about homosexuality and abortion in America. We're a Christian nation, and we don't want that discussed here because we don't believe in it. That's the other side of the news. You never quite get all of it through the news sources, do we? Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, Verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death. But, he said, and that's the most important aspect of that verse for today for Christians, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We live in 
perilous times. These are not peaceful times. They are anything but peaceful times. But there is peace, wonderful peace, that flows down from the Father above. If we're carnally minded, meaning we are not connected to Jesus Christ, we're not in a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to be carnally minded, to be looking for peace through a secular worldview, we will not find it. But if we are looking for peace and life, we will find it in the person of Jesus Christ. And we will find it not only in believing that he existed somehow or maybe he was a real person, but believing that he is the Son of God who was crucified and died for our sins, my sins, personally. And by accepting him as my personal Lord and Savior, by confessing with my mouth, believing in my heart that he is the Son of God, that he died for my sins, that he rose from the dead, I will be saved. If I ask him to forgive me of my sins, that's where peace is found. Wonderful peace. I hope all of you who are listening have that peace. If you don't, give your heart to Christ. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and make you a new new creature in Christ to release you from the bondage of your sin and become a new creature, restored, forgiven, a new creature in Christ. There's a poll out yesterday afternoon that finds 62% of Americans say they have political views they're afraid to share, afraid to talk about it. Strong liberals are the only political group who feel they can express themselves without fear of repercussions. It's amazing. Cato Institute did the poll. They asked they ask a question. They made a statement, actually. The statement was, the political climate these days prevents me from saying things I believe because others might find them offensive. Do you agree or disagree? 62% said, yeah, they agree. They're afraid to talk about what they really believe. Boy, that's a sad commentary on free speech, isn't it? And yet the people that are burning and rioting, breaking windows, burning buildings, harming police, running them out of their city where they're supposed to be taking care of business, the police, they are demanding that they have free speech. And yet all of us ordinary people out here today, if we express some view that isn't acceptable among the far-left progressive idiots, there's retribution. It comes in different forms, but there is. And 62% of Americans said, yeah, I, I don't talk about what I believe. And that can apply not just to political, but it can apply to the Christian beliefs. I think the Christian witness has been chilled by these by laws that have been put in place to discriminate, particularly related to the homosexual agenda, where you can't talk about your faith if it's biblical faith based on biblical teaching. And we're faced today with the idea among some on the left, many on the left, that to try to lead someone to Christ, as I just did on this program just a minute ago, to make that 
kind of a statement to someone in the workplace or wherever, that is seen as trying to proselytize. And And with that comes the idea that if you're trying to proselytize someone else, by accept, leading them to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and if you believe that abortion is sin, if you believe that homosexuality is sin, according to the Bible, then you, in your proselytizing, you have stepped over the line, you are a bigot. That could be and is considered by many today hate speech. These, as I say, are perilous times. 62%. That's up from 58%, same statement, just three years ago. Self-censorship is on the rise in the United States. Republicans were the most likely to be afraid to share their views. 77% of Republicans say, yeah, I believe with all my heart in conservative values and Judeo-Christian values, whatever. 77% said, yeah, I'm pretty hesitant to talk about it. I don't want to face the repercussions. 59% of independents said so. Only 52% of Democrats said they were afraid to voice their opinions. Strong liberals, progressives, stand out, this survey says. They're the only political group who feel they can express themselves. Nearly 6 in 10, 58% of progressives, they say they have no problem saying what they believe. They don't think there will be any consequences or any repercussions there's much more to the survey but i just thought i'd pass that along that's not encouraging is it what it says though is that we need to take a stand we need to be bold and if there are consequences so be it i don't think we should be stupid i don't think we should be insensitive that would not be what the lord would have us to do but be bold in living out your faith, because we're called to do that. Being salt and light is not necessarily being, you know, shelved in a warehouse somewhere waiting for another day when it's more convenient to be salt and light. We're called, in fact, Jesus said, you are, you're not called to be, you are salt and light in the culture, in the world. So we have to go about the Father's business. And speaking of the Father's business, Joe Biden actually believes that he he appeals to evangelicals. This man has no restraint, I'll tell you. He really doesn't. His campaign put out a statement yesterday. The battle, it said, the battle for the soul of our nation deeply resonates with evangelicals. Well, that's true. It does. But the statement went on to say from the Joe Biden campaign that this Therefore, evangelicals will be open to Joe Biden's message. And they're putting some real effort and money behind this. Tony Perkins has got a hold of that. He's a, a really good guy, and he's head of Family Research Council. He got a hold of that. He says, that's an ambitious strategy, trying to win over a group of people you've spent the last several years insulting. That was probably an understatement and Tony would know that. But no one doubts that this 2020 contest in November is for the soul of the nation. There is no question about that. Anyone who thinks that is totally misinformed. Joe Biden recently announced that he's hired this former Republican, Josh Dixon, 
to oversee his campaign's national faith engagement. Josh Dixon became a Democrat, I'm quoting him, because of my evangelical faith. So because I was an evangelical believer, I had to become a Democrat. That's what he's saying publicly. Following his political conversion, he worked for Barack Obama, President Obama's 2012 campaign, and he's going to be leading the charge, and he is now, presently, he's in place, of the Biden campaign to turn evangelical voters away from Trump to Biden. And they say they will be emphasizing the flaws of Trump. (laughs) The political challenge is significant, but apparently Dixon has enough faith in Biden that he believes that evangelicals will convert just like he did. Tony Perkins reacted immediately, pretty strongly. He said it's an ambitious strategy. He doesn't think it's going to work. I pray he's right. I don't think it will either, but it could. It's ambitious, particularly if evangelicals are uninformed, and that's why we do what we do on this program to the best of our ability. There probably are voices that do it better, but we do the best that we can for the glory of God. We try every day to come to this microphone and to inform you of what is going on and what, not necessarily my view, but my view is as close to biblical view as I can get it. I want to be as close to God in his word as I possibly can in all that I say. In fact, that's a daily prayer of mine. And we try to say not what we think, but what God thinks and what God says. And we do that to the best of our ability. And I want to thank you for your support in our effort to do this. I would not be doing this radio program, not that I don't like doing it, but I wouldn't be doing it had I not felt that God really spoke to my heart through some circumstances and through the words of others. Tom Reed at ACN encouraged me. We talked for some time back and forth about the possibility of doing this radio program. And several years ago, and we ended up doing it, the Lord really spoke to my heart about it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. I just wouldn't. I've had a great life of ministry and what I felt the Lord wanted me to do, and I wouldn't be doing it. But We feel strongly about it. And I know that some of you share that vision, that calling, or that, you know, need to do what the Lord wants us to do, and you stand with me and support me in doing it. We're not backed by some big organization or whatever. It's just me and you. And I want to thank you for your support. And I want to thank you for those of you who are about to start supporting this. These are tough times. We need you to stand with us, and to all of you who are, thank you. From my heart, if I knew better words to express my appreciation, I would use them. But thank you. To those of you who believe in what we're doing, and you're listening, but not a part of it as far as helping it day-to-day-to-day meet our budget, please consider it prayerfully. Ask the Lord if he would have you to become a part of this financially and be a support base for what we're doing. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Joe Biden, 
really wants to be president of the United States. He's promised that he'll be transitional. I think that kind of means that he might not run for a second term, but he'll get all the liberals he can and the progressives in place. I don't not sure that's what he means, but I'm pretty sure that's what he at least he's he's suggesting that because he thinks it'll draw a few more votes. And it may because they'll think, well, we can put up with him for four years and then we'll get Kamala Harris, who may be his vice presidential pick. He's looking at four people now, one of whom is Kamala Harris. There's some other Susan Rice who lied to America repeatedly about the Benghazi situation. She covered for Hillary and all those. I mean, she lied on national television day after day after day. She's one of them that he's considering. I don't think Elizabeth Warren, she's going to be very close. She's going to have a lot of influence on him. I don't think he's considering her because she isn't black. You may remember she's an Indian, American Indian. I'm I'm sorry, a, a native Native American Indian or whatever, which she wasn't and isn't any more than anybody else is. But I don't think he'll consider her because she's not black, but she is having a lot of influence with him. But he has four black women he's considering now. One of them will come up, and maybe he'll try to set them up as the first woman president of the United States. I don't know what, what they're up to. But I, knew, I know there are strategies behind the scenes, and I know that Barack Obama has his hands and fingers all over all over this candidacy because he wants to continue his legacy through Joe Biden. So all of that is coming to bear. But exit polls show from, night, from 2016 that in that election, 8 in 10, 80-plus percent white evangelical voters voted for Trump, and only 16 percent voted for Hillary Clinton. However, they feel that some who voted for Trump have grown weary in his combative approach to issues, his repeated, um, you know, on uh, tweeting on on social media and all that kind of thing, and it it does get a little tiresome. I mean, honestly, but Dixon, this Dixon guy, he worked for Obama. He also knows that Obama reached out to conservative white evangelicals, which helped him with the election. And here's the sad part: they did. There are numbers you can't know exactly how many evangelicals voted for him, and you can't know if they're really evangelicals or if they just say they are. I mean, God knows their heart. But between 6 and 7 million evangelicals voted for Barack Obama, and a fewer amount, but millions, voted for Hillary. In 2008, he captured 26% of the white. Obama did white evangelical vote in 2012, 21%. Conversely, Hillary only only captured 16% of the vote of white evangelicals. But we are the largest voting bloc in the country. Biden's crew has concluded that, these are their words, broad swaths of faith community did not feel like the Democrat nominee was interested in their vote. The end result was that Donald Trump won a whopping 81% of the white evangelical vote. In other words, Trump got the white evangelical vote because Hillary didn't reach out and make us feel inclusive. Frankly, these people underestimate the intelligence of a white evangelicals. They always have. They don't think we're all that smart. They don't know us. They don't understand what motivates us. They apparently believe that if we're merely extended an invitation, we'll feel so included and accepted and inclusive and all of that that why the elite progressives will bust our thumbs, punching holes in our ballot for Biden. Tony Perkins, he understands evangelicals because he is one. 
In his op-ed on this matter, he notes that maybe Joe Biden, a self-identified Catholic, is personally spiritual, but he's not authentic. He questions that. He said, surely no one who's followed his four-decade career could conclude that Biden shares Christian values where it matters in the public arena. And yet even Dixon himself tried to sell the former vice president as the real deal. And he'll be doing that from now till November because he loves his neighbor and cares for the poor and vulnerable. And that is taken right out of the religious left and their movement from Oprah Winfrey right down the line. All of those people say, I am a Christian. And I believe that the most important thing in Christianity is to love our neighbor and care for the poor and vulnerable. But they exclude the idea of a transformational encounter with Jesus Christ. We call it getting saved or accepting Christ. They exclude that because they believe in universal salvation. They believe that the, that John 3.16 and other verses affirm that in the end, all people will be saved because God is love and God would never send people to hell. He could not do that because it would violate who he is because God is love. And they fully and completely set aside the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If cornered and asked if they believe it, it's say, oh, of course, of course, we're followers of Jesus. No, they're not. Because they also say that they believe that Jesus is not the only way to God. Oprah Winfrey has said it many times publicly. Barack Obama said it as well. Millions of these people on the left believe it. You just don't hear them say it because they're not prominent or well-known. But that's a belief that runs through the religious left. And yet I see evangelical Christians who have grown up in evangelical churches. I see them walking away and embracing this. You know why? Because there are no... There's no real accountability there. It's just we're all about love, and God is about love, and ultimately we're all going to be saved. There is no lifestyle. There is no spiritual transformation that needs to take place. That's basically what the religious left is about. On their website, the first words you read there are, Welcome. Are you a Christian and a liberal? We've been searching for you for 10 years. If you're like many others of us, you've probably felt alone. You've probably been told you can't be a Christian and be a liberal progressive. Oh, my. And then it goes downhill from there. On on their website, they also quote Jimmy Carter, President, former President Jimmy Carter. He said these words, and I know he did. He said, Jesus never said a word about homosexuality in all of his teachings about multiple things. He never said that gay people should be condemned. Well, Mr. Carter, the religious right doesn't say that gay people should be condemned. It says we're all condemned by sin until we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. Gay people or sinful people, whatever the sin is, is not condemned. It's the sin that's condemned. And it is Christ that can forgive us. Oh, boy, I wish I had more time. I'd like to talk to you more about the religious left. Maybe we'll talk about that more in the coming days, because that's going to become a big deal as we move toward this November, because Biden's putting a lot of, you know, a lot of emphasis on it, spending quite a bit of money to reach out to evangelicals to tell you that he is a better choice than Trump, because Trump is a bad guy. 